0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Painting the Corners, and the 2022 season comes to an end with the Houston Astros being crowned as world champions for the second time in their history. Um, Man, you may not like them after that 2017 cheating scandal, but at this point, you just got to respect them. Almost an entirely new team, and uh, they just came out and dominated from start to finish.
1: Yeah, they really did, and they, I think Jeff Passan kind of put it uh, perfectly, the Astros were inevitable. They were the Thanos of this year's Mm -hmm. Major League season, and they played that way from start to finish, and no other team played as well as they did from day one to day, what is it, 190 or whatever the heck we're in, so yeah, hats off to them.
0: Absolutely. All right, so let's get down to breaking down this World Series. All right, so instead of doing a uh, game-by-game breakdown, we're just going to kind of highlight some of the turning points of the series. And quite honestly, I thought at the time that the turning point was gonna be game one when the Phillies came back from that five nothing deficit. It just felt like they couldn't lose at that point.
1: Yeah, I at that point it was like, okay, they are the team of destiny. Like it just was so Phillies during this postseason esque where you're like, dang no matter what, you know, deficit they find themselves in or what situation, they just win. Right. Exactly.
0: And the Astros game 2 win like I don't know, it didn't even really feel like it still felt like the Phillies had the advantage and not just because they were going home. Um, it was just, you know, a kind of garden variety 5 to 2 win. It wasn't wasn't something crazy like the like the game 1 win for Philly, but um You know, of course, things changed. Not in Game 3. Game 3 was all Phillies. But I think the real turning point of the series was the Game 4 no-hitter. Would you
1: agree with that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Once that happened, it kind of seemed like it sucked any of the juju out of what the Phillies had. Um, And they never really caught that fire again um, at really any point, it seemed like. Um, But, yeah, just you know, when you get no hit at any point in time, it's demoralizing. And and I know Kyle Schwarber said, you know, he didn't give a whatever, but like, it it sucks. It sucks in a lot of ways. You don't want to be no hit. You don't want to be no hit on the national stage. And you don't want to be hit on the biggest national stage that you could possibly find yourself in. Um, So not only is that kind of embarrassing, but it's also demoralizing and I feel like the Phillies somewhat showed that from the offensive side of things after that.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to discern, you know, what's due to that demoralization and also what's just due to the Astros having really good pitching. But, yeah, they scored nothing in Game 4, obviously. They got two in Game 5, and they only got one in Game 6. So,
1: you know, you're not going to win many games averaging one run. No, you're not. And like you said, a lot of that has to be a tip of the cap to the Astros because their pitching this postseason outside of Verlander was the best we've ever seen. Their bullpen was by far the best we've ever seen in a postseason series. Um, and you look at the rotation. I mean, Valdez came out and didn't just give quality starts. He locked the door. Um, like I said, you know, Verlander wasn't pretty. But he got the job done in his second start in the World Series. And, you know, that's what you need to do. You you keep your team in the game, which he did. Yeah, he had four walks, which he hadn't done, I don't think, all year. But one run, and you hand it over to that Astros bullpen. And, yeah, that was a silly bullpen. I mean, how many innings did Stanek end up even throwing in this postseason? Like two? Two, I think. He didn't even see the World Series. No, he had a freaking sub-two ERA. In the regular season, the dude was a beast. Yeah. He would be, he would be like a top two guy for pretty much every other team. And he couldn't even touch the field. So yeah, man, the Astros pitching just unreal. Yeah. I mean,
0: we said, we kind of joked before this in the, in the world series preview episode that, Oh, if Verlander is your weakest link, you're doing pretty good. And he, he kind of was, I mean, Ver- McCullough's got lit up of course, but um, yeah, that's just unbelievable that, that, and they're all young, too, other than Verlander. They've got guys that are not going anywhere for the foreseeable future.
1: Right. The only guy that... oh, well, there's really two guys. Um, you got Ryan Presley, who they signed to that extension, and he's got another year. Um, and then Hector Neris who is now going to be a free agent, I believe. Unless that was a two-year deal, but I think it was a one-year deal. Um, but, I mean, come on. They're going to replace him like he was nothing. So... It's just you look at this team and it's it's not a 2020 nationals team, sorry. It's not a 2019 Nationals team where they had to win or it was over. Like they're just gonna continuously be the American League favorite. I don't know what any team can do when you look at the likes of you know, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Rays, you know, even the White Sox to an extent, the Mariners. I don't know what those teams can realistically do this offseason to jump the Astros, at least for me.
0: No, and we all know the perils of grading teams on paper because if that was the case, the Dodgers would have won the World Series in May the last three years, five years. But it's such a huge gap between the Astros and anyone else in the AL. They were the only AL team to win over 100 games this year. They got 106. The Yankees were next closest with 99, but they have a lot of uncertainty this offseason, um, starting with Judge, but beyond that, um, uncertainty in the rotation, uncertainty with the depth of their lineup. So um, very interested to see how they kind of rebound. We'll, we'll have a, an offseason preview kind of episode for every team coming up soon but yeah i mean the astros just look as you said inevitable they they finished the job this year they kind of i wouldn't say erased but they kind of moved past that taint from the the 2017 world series they proved that they can win fair and square with no buzzers and i mean yeah as as i said at the top you may not like them but you got to respect them now
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to to give props to the offense um, because you look at the likes of Jordan Alvarez, Jeremy Pena, Yuli Gurriel, um, obviously Bregman and Altuve played somewhat of a part, Um, Kyle Tucker, Chaz McCormick, uh, Velasquez behind the plate. Um, Those guys all just produced. And yeah, Mancini and Maldonado struggled. But if you have two out of... of a 10 guy rotation in terms of offensively that struggled, you're going to be fine. I think the scary part about the Astros too, is you were talking about how controllable and young, all those relief arms and starting pitchers are. Jeremy Pena, Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker are all the same age. That is a core. That is a core right there. And then you kind of sprinkle in a guy like Bregman and Altuve who are top five players at their position Um, Altuve is probably more like one or two Chaz McCormick's a nice piece in center though I don't know if he's long-term answer but still I mean man they have tangible offensive guys to build around and they're not just like really good they're like elite at their position they're the top um and we'd be remiss without saying and talking about Jordan's home run game six right there to essentially seal the series because his win probability added um that he has three of the top twenty in the history of the sport for postseason games now, after that one. Three in the top twenty in one postseason. It's unreal. It's really unreal.
0: Yeah, and we talked about this last night off pod, Logan and I. That swing, man, just so perfectly connected and on time for 99. Like he the way he swung at that pitch, he couldn't possibly have missed it. It was just such a a perfect swing in all facets.
1: No, completely. And you know, it feels like this postseason was kind of centered around your dawn because of those three home runs. He didn't really light the world on fire outside of that. I mean, he played really well, but it wasn't like he was Harper in the, you know, NLCS where it just couldn't get him out. Like, you could get Jordan out, but it seemed like whenever the Astros needed a huge home run, it didn't matter if you brought in the best lefty reliever in baseball or the best right-handed starting pitcher in baseball. It didn't matter who you left out there. I mean, we can talk a little bit about that from yesterday's game, but he just hit the ball out and it went really far. I mean, they weren't cheap shots. So it's really impressive what he did. Um, and, and yeah, like, you know, Johnny and I talked about this off pod too. Yesterday's decision to take out Wheeler for Alvarado. I said in real time, bad decision. Um, and then obviously afterwards I look smart for saying that, but you know, if, if Jordan just missed it or something, no one would have been talking about it. But, um, I don't know. What did you think about that decision? Because that, that essentially that decision, obviously it was the pitch, not the decision, but that decision kind of ended the Phillies world series hopes.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's you're not going to get a lefty lefty advantage on Alvarez. And obviously Rob Thompson knows that he knows the stats. He knows that Jordan is just as good against lefties as he is against righties. So That decision is saying I feel better about Alvarado as a pitcher than Wheeler as a pitcher because you're not going to get a matchup advantage. And with Wheeler what, 70 pitches deep having already faced Alvarez twice in the game? I think it's a defensible move. I think either side would have been a defensible move. Um, Would Wheeler have gotten him out? I don't know. But yeah. I mean, the thing to remember about baseball, it's it's so funny because you know, you always have to tell yourself this as a pitcher and Logan and I are both pitchers. You always 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 have the advantage as a pitcher because unless it's prime Barry Bonds or Ted Williams, you're going to get them out more than 50% of the time. So the pitcher always has that advantage. And You know, dudes like Jordan make you forget that because it seems like, oh my gosh, you know, this guy has no holes. Like, I just can't get him out here. But, you know, pitchers have that advantage. And sometimes it just comes down to a dude being completely locked in. I don't know. I probably, I think I probably would have left Wheeler out there, but it would have been a close call.
1: Yeah. And I agree with you. It definitely is defensible because, like you say, um, if Wheeler goes in there and throws a fastball up and away and Jordan takes him to the Crawford boxes, then the whole storyline is how can you leave Wheeler in there? You have Alvarado in the bullpen to face the lefty. So it's, it's kind of a lose, lose for Rob Thompson in a sense, unless it works out. Um, but at the end of the day, and I'm a fairly firm believer in this, it's the pitchers who make the mistakes and the hitters who take advantage of those, not the managers, um, So let's just kind of backtrack a little bit, because I think that at-bat obviously ended the series. So look back at the last time Alvarado faced Jordan. He drills him, okay? Fast-forwarding to yesterday's bottom of the sixth inning. Let's kind of look at the sequencing here of this at-bat, because I think it's very important. Um, So he starts him off, busts a sinker in really shows that he is confident in himself. He he flushed that bad outing he had the other day to go in on a guy he already hit. Um, so good, fouls it off. And then he starts to just go to cutters. He misses way outside with a cutter and then runs a cutter up and in. I don't like the second cutter after the first cutter. The reason I say that is because you yank the first cutter, you take his eyesight way outside, right? Right? If you throw another cutter, then he's going to track that pitch. He's already just seen the pitch going away. So he's going to see the pitch coming away. But Alvarez, excuse me, Alvarado makes a terrible pitch, throws it up and in. So now if you're Jordan, you know the sinker's coming. He's not going to go three straight cutters because neither of them have been close. So if you're Alvarado at the same time, you know you have to throw a sinker and it leaks basically middle-middle. It was a little down, but it was middle-middle. If I'm Alvarado, I am just pounding him in with sinkers, and quite honestly, I'm not too stressed about hitting him again. Because if I hit him again, I just give him first base. Nobody scores. It wasn't a grand slam. It was the run home run, so nobody scores. That's at least how I'm attacking that. Now, I understand that you want to go for the strikeout in that situation, and you're trying to get Yordán to at least, you know, not be on your hard stuff. But man, after the first cutter, it was such a good opportunity to throw the sinker backdoor it, and even if he throws the mm-hmm. sinker where it ended up, I feel like at least how I'm seeing this, Alvarez is probably not timed up as well as he is because he was able on to sit sinker the on the one one pitch, pitch. correct? Yeah. But because he knew that the one two or excuse me the two one pitch was going to be a sinker. That's what we were talking about. That's why he was able to get that that swing that just looked perfect. Um mm-hmm. and you know what maybe he takes it to left field off over the Crawford bo- or into the Crawford boxes. But yeah, I just I just wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. Not my favorite pitch calling in that situation. But no yeah it's um, it's great breakdown.
0: Um and I don't know where Real Muto was set up there. Was it a backdoor sinker set up? called or was it an inside front hip sinker?
1: You know I honestly don't know um, I would imagine it's going to be inside because you blow a cutter up and in on a guy you want to throw it inside again you're usually not trying to go away um, because he's already inside conscious uh, especially with the movement Alvarado has but you know it, you mm-hmm. could either way it's just a bad pitch if it wherever wherever Real Muto was set up it's just a bad execution of a pitch and you can't blame that execution on Rob Thompson so Um, Yeah, I mean, it's tough tough at the end of the day if you're a Phillies fan, obviously. But like we said earlier, it's just such a deep lineup that even if you miss there, let's say you get Alvarez out, Jordan Alvarez out, you still got a slew of guys to deal with. And you've been dealing with Jeremy Pena, who we haven't even talked about much, who won World Series MVP, first Mm -hmm. rookie to ever do so. Um, And, I mean, the dude... He had a clutch home run in game five. I mean, it was pretty incredible what he did this series offensively and defensively. He's really solid. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about this when we kind of break down the AL West, but it's crazy how the Astros can just get rid of Correa so confidently and replace him with Pena and for Pena to do just unreal things.
0: Yeah. We talked about that in the world series preview, like, that's putting your money where your mouth is to say, you know, we're going to let this dude walk for $35 million a year. You know, twins bring out the Brinks truck. We don't want him because we're so confident in this rookie to just come out there and dominate. And he did. And we said that like, wow, that's super impressive. We said that before he went out there and hit 400 in the World Series to win the World Series MVP. And none of those Jordan homers would have been possible without him Getting on base, in front, he scored on all three Jordan
1: homers in the fo- in the playoffs. No, it's really, really crazy um, how good he was, and at just such a quick like level, and the confidence you see in him, it's not a swaggy confidence per se. You know, it's not the Ronald Acuna Tatis style type of swag, but it's just like, yeah, I'm good type of confidence, and you know, it's really impressive to watch. Really is, and it just another tip of the cap to the Astros development team because, like you say, the confidence level in him is unreal, and he came out and proved it this year, and he proved it at the biggest stages too. There was no moment that was too big for for Pena.
0: Yep, and I think even beyond the confidence that the the Astros had in him as a player, they've got to know their guy and say, okay, you know, he's going to take this opportunity as like, he's going to feel the confidence that we have in him. He's not going to feel the pressure of, oh gosh, I'm the guy, you know, I have to step up. He's going to feel that as like, wow, they have confidence in me. They know I'm going to
1: succeed. And yeah, I mean, he, he certainly did. Oh, he totally did. Um, I wanted to talk about some of the guys I'm happy for uh, winning this world series, because like you said earlier, this kind of um, allowed some of the world, the country, to move past the cheating scandal, and I can't say that I am happy for Altuve, Bregman, or Guriel, especially Guriel. I mean, he yeah, he's done some other colored things in the past, but um, definitely not happy for them, and definitely not happy for the owner and Jim Crane. But man, I am so 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 happy for Dusty Baker, and I'm really 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 happy for Trey Mancini. I mean. Two guys that absolutely deserve this in life. Obviously, Dusty uh, being the oldest tenured manager to ever win a championship in the four major sports here in America, Um, and he had never won one prior, and then Mancini battling through cancer, an emotional trade deadline for him, struggled. He only got one hit this postseason, but... At the end of the day, he's going to be able to put that ring on his finger for the rest of his life, be able to call himself a world champion. Absolutely, yeah,
0: that's what it's all about. Bigger than, bigger than baseball,
1: for sure. So, um, yeah, we haven't talked too much about what this looks like for the Phillies. Um, You know, future wise for them. um, Where do you see, I guess, the Phillies' outlook after this? Because you know, losing in a World Series. Can either go negatively or positively the next year. We've seen it, go both ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw it with the um, fourteen fifteen Royals for sure. But yeah, I don't know. There's yeah, there's there's two sides to the coin for sure. There's the you know we tasted it. We're hungry. Um, we want to get that last step kind of kind of vibe. But there's also the we ran our pitchers out there for thirty extra innings. Um, You know, our guys are going to be fatigued. There's that little kind of hangover effect that's been, of course, long debated in baseball history. Um, I do know that they've got uh, Dave Dombrowski as GM. And, you know, he only knows one speed, and let's go for it. That's why they brought him in. So he's not going to take his foot off the pedal. He's going to continue to be aggressive this offseason. I got to believe that ownership is going to greenlight some more spending because... Um, they got great, great postseason gate revenue this year for the first time in a long time. And they know that, you know, they're not built like the Astros. They've got to take advantage of this roster while it's still here, uh, which which won't be for, for too much longer with the same core of guys. So I don't know. It's, it's obviously very up in the air, but I don't see them
1: taking their foot off the
0: gas for sure.
1: Yeah, no, I would definitely tend to agree with you. We'll just kind of see. I mean, they snuck into the postseason this year. Um, you know, they'll obviously be expected to make it next year, but it's not like they won the division and won 90 games. I mean, if they even have a slight regression, they probably missed the playoffs. So right. there's a world where the Phillies miss the playoffs, of course, and we'll see what happens this offseason before we kind of talk about that. But, yeah, if there's a, if there's a World Series hangover for the first two months or something like that, and maybe there are pitchers take a little bit more time to get into their groove because they, you know, through those extra 30, 30 innings. There's no doubt a world where this Phillies team doesn't make the postseason again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, credit to them. They started off cold. It's been much, much mentioned by Joe Davis. They started at 21 and 29 and, and came back to win 87 games. But, you know, it's worth remembering the Phillies. Basically, we're a 500 team over the last four years. So this year's team really won, you know, six more games and six games is just the difference between a good week and a bad week, which is really, you know, weird to think about that this entire run could have never happened in the first place. Um, but, you know, hopefully they, they find a way to recapture that magic next year and, you know, hopefully Dombrowski is, is successful in his efforts this offseason to improve the team, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, last thing I wanted to kind of touch on with the Phillies is this. I think Rob Thompson deserves one heck of a hand because, you know, to replace a, a guy like Joe Girardi, who has such a such a big name value, um and has the pedigree that he has, to replace him midway through a season and then take your team not only to the playoffs which doesn't usually happen but then all the way to the world series that's pretty incredible so um now I, the book's still out for me on whether or not i think he's a great manager but he definitely proves something to a lot of people this year and especially myself that he belongs at the big leagues in some managerial managerial facet we'll, we'll have to see how a full season goes but um yeah uh, big hats off to him for sure
0: Yeah. And uh, I don't think anyone in the world thought that we would be drawing parallels between Rob Thompson and Jeremy Pena before this year came out. But they have kind of filled similar roles, you know, replacing guys that are big names at their quote unquote positions um, and stepping up kind of out of the blue and really carrying their teams.
1: Um, are you okay if I do some breaking news here on Pod? Sure. Okay, definitely unrelated, but Edwin Diaz and the New York Mets are in agreement for a five-year, one hundred and two million dollar deal. Five You're years, kidding 102. Me. There's an opt-out, full no-trade clause, plus a six-year option. Um, first ever nine-figure contract for a closer takes the position into the twenty million plus range unreal that is something holy that is something cow. so we'll we'll be talking about this at some point obviously here in the near future but um what wow congrats heck? to congrats to bob nightingale for getting that one out
0: and congrats to edwin diaz Talk about securing the bag good
1: yeah in that yeah i'm not gonna break this down too much but just Fun, fun when this happens on pod. I think this this back to back pods we've had something that I've been able to mention.
0: It is, it, it is, yeah. That's yeah. fun,
1: fun stuff. That's probably the biggest one we've ever had to break on pod. I think the, the next closest was uh, was when we were doing the trade deadline uh, live yeah. reaction, but that you can't really that's count that cheating. one. So yeah, it's definitely cheating. So yeah, wow, that's incredible, incredible. So that definitely um, definitely makes the Phillies hitters. Dissatisfied. I'm sure they were hoping for him to leave division. So, yep,
0: absolutely. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. A hearty congratulations from the PTC Pod to our 2022 World Champion Houston Astros. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you in the off season very soon with uh, as many breakdowns as we can churn out. All right. Thank you, guys. See ya.